0: welcome escape from planet listeners Ooh, halloween october 31st is when we're recording what's up Teen?
1: it's me chris uh happy halloween i don't know yeah yeah it is it it's is halloween. All the halloween. Kids are
0: out. halloween actually speaking of kids um just like maybe a little over an hour ago my doorbell rings and i'm just totally confused because of what the hell who's coming in at this time and i'm like who is it and they're like Tweet.
1: <laughs> uh-huh.
0: and i can't remember the last time i gave out trick-or-treat how is this probably when i was still living
1: at home when i was maybe in high school yeah you're living in a pretty family friendly area though yeah So compared to compared to some of the other apartments that you've lived in
0: yeah yeah so uh you know before when i was living in the east village there was no way in hell kids are coming there to trick-or-treat but now right. it's in sty I went out uh, to our little internal park, whatever you call it, to do some mm-hmm. reading today. And yeah, I saw people there with costumes, little kids. Uh, I saw one little kid dressed up as Evil Knievel, which I thought was very cute. Yeah. Uh, so it is, there are a lot of families around here. So um, mm-hmm. luckily, I had some chocolate, which I just bought for myself. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> had no intention of giving it out, but mm-hmm. I had something to give. Uh, if any mm-hmm. kids come during this recording, they're screwed. Uh, I'm just going to pretend I'm not home. Because listeners, I care more about you than the little trick-or-treaters. But it was nice to, to be able to give out things. And there were these like three adorable little girls. Um, I don't really remember what they were dressed up
1: as, but they were just very cute. You could give them that bottle of non-alcoholic gin that Trevor left at your place. And just oh, God. Like, yeah. <laughs> Tell your parents it's okay. There's no alcohol in this. You can make little virgin uh, gin and tonics.
0: Uh, Alright, so your... so listeners, uh, last weekend I had a little housewarming party and then somebody left this bottle of mystery liquid, which is called like London uh, Aromatics or something weird. I assumed it was gin because it looked like gin. But then the closer I read it, it says something about non-alcoholic flavored beverage, like some kind of mixer. And I thought it was a joke. I thought the label was... I don't know, punking me or something. But then uh, our friend Trevor from Champagne Sharks then texted me saying, sorry, I brought that. <laughs> yeah, I still haven't tasted it. I have no idea what it tastes like, but I assume it's, it, it mimics gin or some botanical. Like, there's liquor.
1: nobody, nobody loves alcohol more than people who have to drink non-alcoholic gin. All right, that's, that's yeah. when you know you really love alcohol when you have to drink yeah, fake like, alcohol. What's, what's wrong
0: with you? You're just like one <laughs> step away from drinking perfume. yeah Yeah. so anyway uh yeah halloween not much to say except that i was a little disappointed it just didn't feel that festive this year i thought there would be two years worth of pent-up halloween energy but i was on the subway and you know at night and stuff i mean there were people in costumes but i don't know it just seemed a bit deflated and Hmm. yeah i did i wasn't happened over here
1: um where i am it's, it's but it's you know here it's like more families and stuff and it's a, yeah, who cares a lot about that? of kids I'm, are out. I'm talking
0: about the debauchery i'm talking about the
1: oh yeah yeah no the, but the kids are the drugs, into it yeah. yeah the kids are <laughs> into it and um the uh the one thing i didn't realize is that did you know that kids trick-or-treated businesses
0: i know that because i when, when i was like growing up there were like kids would go to the mall mm. and go to stores so i knew that yeah what is
1: that i didn't know you could do that
0: yeah i guess i guess maybe some people who don't live in places that are easily trick-or-treatable maybe like Mm -hmm. apartment complexes i i think that's what i assumed growing up but yeah are you talking about like corner stores and
1: and stuff and restaurants yeah like i was eating at a restaurant today and like like kids Hmm. kept coming in i wonder if the Uh, restaurants kind of get pissed off about that like Uh, they they seem to be used to it they seem to like kind of get the get the deal that's good yeah anyway
0: yeah, so hopefully everyone has had a happy Halloween um, and hopefully made up somewhat for last year's cancelled Halloween. But as I said, the energy seemed a little bit low. But moving on, um, so the main thing we want to talk about today is this uh article that came out of the New York Times comparing Gen Z and millennial workplace habits. But before we get to it, um why well, why don't we talk more eternals? Because this thing is is a is a comedy. Firewagon it it keeps getting funnier with each passing day. Uh Atin, why, why don't you give give me your thoughts? Since we talked about this in our bonus pod, hey, great time to plug it. If you want to join our Patreon, you get these bonus podcasts that we do because the things we say there are, are too spicy for the uh free podcast or maybe not. I don't know. Uh you should uh be a subscriber and find out. But we talked a bit about uh Eternals, uh, this weird like pushing of the sex scene in there and this uh increasing attempt to try to portray anybody who doesn't like the movie as some kind of bigot which could work if the movie was good but it's not and anyway so uh, teen i want to get your take on it cuz you weren't on the bonus pod
1: oh well i i was not rooting against this movie at all and i'm like a fan of chloe's i think i've seen the Rider, and i've watched um nomadland and i liked both of them um i liked them a lot actually um i don't know if Nomadland was like best director level, but um, it wasn't. I mean, given the field, I guess I could see it. Yeah, it was a it was a weak year because like it was COVID. It was the COVID year. It was a weak year, but it's it's a. I thought it was a strong movie. Um, probably speaks to older people a little bit more than it does to young people, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, you yeah, know, not a perfect movie or anything. But I'm I'm a fan of hers, and I didn't get. Um, I guess I was not really f- you know how like certain brands will like do um collaboration with like someone else like I don't know like I don't know if Vera Wang ever did a target collection or something like that but like you know how uh you know like a cookware brand will feature something you know with sure, yeah. Gordon Ramsay you know something like that mm-hmm. like when I heard Chloe Zhao was directing Eternals like um, an MCU movie I was like thinking that it was kind of like Marvel by Chloe Zhao, Marvel by (laughs) Chloe. You know, like, is she really directing this or is she just kind of putting her name on it, you know? And that's kind of what I think of these movies. I don't know, maybe that's a bit unfair, but I didn't really think of it as given like what she's directed so far. It didn't really seem an obvious fit that she would be um, helming like what's supposed to be like a major new launch pad for like a bunch of new Marvel characters. Um, but the thing that I see rarely mentioned is that Chloe Zhao's, uh, she didn't she didn't come from, from out of nowhere. Uh, her father's like extremely wealthy and connected. Um, he's like uh, a major real estate developer in China, like you know billionaire level, mm-hmm. and he remarried to this actress named um, Song Dan Dan, who's like, uh, is that it? Song Dan Dan. And her, she's like really famous actress in like comedic actress in China. Like she, I think she headlines like the annual like CCTV Chinese New Year special and all that's like, that's a pretty big thing. So I, I think the Marvel by Chloe idea might be kind of real in the sense that, um, I, I always got the feeling when I saw her name attached to Eternals that this was Marvel. Trying to position itself for the Chinese market, and having someone as well connected as as Chloe Zhao is to them, probably was part of that ambition. So mm-hmm. I just don't see that mentioned. I think a lot of people are just thinking of it as purely like an art, you know, her artistic merit and stuff. Not to say that that's not important, but this really felt when I first heard that. It really felt to me like. Oh, Marvel is you know trying new ways to to you know get itself into the Chinese market.
0: Yeah, but one of the things that if you go on Reddit or Twitter, one of the first things people will say about her is they they want to portray her. I'm talking about the fans. Mm-hmm. Uh, they want to portray her as this like brave uh, kind of Joan of Arc figure, uh, you know, riding her steed against the evil Chinese Empire, based on something she said. I have no idea if that's what she said or if that's oh. true or not. And there is this weird attempt to try to, I think what they want to believe, and I'm talking about the fans here, mm-hmm. what they want to believe, I think, is that she's some hard scrabble, basically like a like a paky on me, a Chinese and right. a, a movie director, yeah, escaped no. <laughs> the evil Chinese, uh, the clutches of the evil Chinese communist empire, and it, by the graces of America, was allowed to flourish as an artist win the highest honors in her field. And because of that, uh, those those evil patriarchs back in China can't stand it and are blocking her movie. I, I have no idea what's going on with, with China and Marvel. I, I suspect it's more less because I know some people are blaming something that like Simu Liu said like once in 2018 about being like poor and from China and say, oh, that's the reason why they block shang She's like, no, that's not the reason. Like they, they don't care about this guy. It might be that they're, trying to protect their box office from the threat of marvel i know there's a movie right now called the battle of lake changjin which is uh going to be the highest grossing movie uh period uh, out of any movie american or otherwise of this year and it's it's kind of like wolf warrior i, I think it's a very uh, patriotic war movie uh based in, on a famous battle in the korean war i, th- I think i think china more concerned about protecting its uh markets more so than what some obscure actor or director uh you know I mean by, by their concerns. Like they don't care who Simu Liu or Chloe Zhao is. Uh yeah. so but yeah there is this attempt to try to turn her into some kind of anti-China figure, which is then if if your assertion is correct that they hired in order to be their link into the market, then I mean one of one person is is drastically wrong <laughs> in that case.
1: Yeah no I, I think it's uh you know, pretty clear, like she's, you know, she, she's not like, see, I mean, I felt bad for Steve because, like, it's probably true about his family, you know, like they probably did, they probably were very poor and they probably did flee. Yeah. And, uh, but that's not Chloe. She fled in the sense that she got sent to boarding school in the UK when she was, in high, you know, for high school and um, spent most of her formative years at elite prep, at elite institutions in, either London or New York. And she, I think she went to Tisch uh, for, for films, NYU for film school. Um, and I know from people that we know that knew her in film school, that she was very much fast tracked. Um, She was fast tracked into where she is now. Why do you think and that is? Uh, I mean, she's I mean, connected. Right. She's, she's got the Chinese connections. Her father isn't just like kind of rich guy. He's like realist. He's like, you know, billionaire real estate developer. Right. So, and and also and the mother is like completely you know connected in the entertainment world, so she she is Chinese royalty in that sense. And I think I don't think we really think like your average American doesn't really think about Chinese or Asians as having pedigree. We're we're all kind of like second tier to them, right? You know, but see that's what they don't understand is like no, there is a there is. Definitely, Asian royalty in that sense, and the people who understand, um, you know, or or care about things like selling movies in China and doing business in China are going to be very mindful of that. They're going to be very aware of that, and I guarantee you, Marvel was fully aware of her connections when they decided to um, to put her at the helm. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, I I just don't think there's any other way to view this. Yeah, uh, not to say that she's not talented. She clearly is pretty talented, but
0: just not um, right for this type of movie right now. It, make sense it, is, to me. it is teetering at sixty percent, which is pretty much the the razor's edge between being rotten or fresh. Right. If, and it did dip down to fifty one percent for some time. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, oh, I think it was maybe Friday or something. And chances are, reviews tend to go down, not up, as time goes on. So there's a very good chance it'll dip into the 50s, which would it's already the lowest rated Marvel movie by the critics, Rotten Tomatoes. There's probably no chance it's actually gonna uh, leapfrog the Almighty Thor 2, which stands at 66%. So now it's a matter of will it at least uh, not plunge into the 50s, So and that's mm-hmm. to be seen. But this is something I said when I when we recorded the bonus pod I said oh there's like a few weirdos on twitter trying to blame this on the homophobes or the racists or the misogynists but I said you know what it, it seems to be kind of a fringe element over the weekend that has sparked into a bigger although not I think that big but it's still, it still has grown I think and it's it's absolutely ridiculous why would and, why would
1: homophobes not like this movie well is, apparently so
0: there's a there's a character named Fastos played by Brian Tyree Henry, great actor. Uh, if you are, if you're a fan of Atlanta, you know what I'm talking about. He plays Paperboy in Atlanta. He's very good. He plays a gay actor. He has a gay husband. Well, obviously, a gay husband. Yeah. and I think they have a family. And there's like a, sh- a brief kiss they share. Apparently, and apparently, this is uh, enrages the homophobe so much that they're uh, see this is the this is the this is just a very dishonest thing they're doing. So what they're talking about review bombing is because this this movie hasn't been released so the only reviews that are out officially are the critics reviews right but apparently on imdb there was a wave of negative reviews that they claimed was based on homophobia we don't know because imdb scrubbed those reviews they're actually not available anymore but i think what they're trying to do is create enough confusion and misinformation that people think that the bad Rotten Tomatoes score is because of these homophobic review bombers. But they're not the critics. They have no power over the critics unless you're claiming they, they're somehow like exerting some kind of mind control. Mm-hmm. So th- it's it's just very dishonest. And I don't know what these people's agendas are. I don't know if they're like just crazy Marvel fans or they're just, you know, they're just really invested in the whole diversity thing. But um, if anything, Rotten Tomatoes is giving... Uh, Eternals okay so here's an example of a fresh review i just posted this on my twitter so this is um, some review by caitlin booth of bleeding cool and this get a fresh review which means it's good and this is the little excerpt they have from her review eternals is going to be a divisive movie because it doesn't really work at the end of the day there's too much exposition the pacing and structure are a mess and the story of love in all its forms gets lost and they said that was a good review. And there's some uh, lines from her review where she says, the bad outweighs the good. Uh, however, all of that good gets utterly lost in the story and exposition. And it's almost impressive how spectacularly it all falls apart. And this is supposed to be like a thumbs up review. So
1: if anything, Rotten Tomatoes is inflating the score. It should be lower, probably. It's kind of weird to me because movies about gay characters tend to do very well. Well, that's a, that's the bullshit.
0: It's like... Critics love this kind of stuff. They love diversity. They easily fall on the liberal progressive end of the spectrum. They're the ones who, you know, preemptively went after Joker because they just didn't want it to succeed. Uh, So if they don't like it, this movie must be pretty bad. But they're, I guess, they're trying to claim that the critics are now magas. It's just like, nobody's buying
1: it. Are you going to watch this movie? Hell no, no. Yeah. I um
0: right. I've got some other movies I want to watch. Uh Last Night in Soho, Spencer Looks Good, maybe uh T Ten Um if I got time. Um What else is coming out? Actually, you know, I kinda wanna watch that Wes Anderson movie. <laughs> actually I will too, actually, because <laughs> we may do we may do an episode on on just you know, Wes Anderson ism. Just the whole like ideology behind Wes Anderson, the pros
1: and the cons. Are you a fan? Hmm. I am. I think he's um he he without a doubt has been able to, you know, put out some just he's just so unique. Whether you like that style or not, like is one thing. But he definitely taps into he's like mastered Twee culture if you ask me. And, oh yeah, for sure. You know. Everything is
0: derived from him and I feel like he knows what he is and is not ashamed of it, which I have to admire. I would say when he when he gets it right, he gets it really right. I think the Royal Bombs, great movie, uh, Grand Budapest Hotel, very good movie. But when, when he doesn't, like very irritating movies, I think uh, Moonrise Kingdom, I found extremely annoying.
1: Uh, what are some of his other stuff? Um, I tried watching... Um... The Darjeeling Limited or Darjeeling, whatever, not very good. It probably would watch. get
0: kind of uh, trash today because uh, apparently it kind of makes fun of Indians.
1: Yes, you know, it, it, it's yeah. just still not very good. I I don't know how else to put it. It's just not. It's just yeah. It's not as good as his, his better movies. Yeah. But yeah, Grand oh. Budapest Hotel was awesome.
0: Yeah, Rushmore. Eh, I don't know. I, that was that was irritating as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know he's got some other. My favorite somewhere there. Yeah. The Aquatic Life of whatever. I, know, uh, I didn't like that uh, one I, didn't, I didn't watch that. Didn't mm-hmm. care. Um, but yeah, as I said, Royal Town I think is, is a really, really good movie. Um, so I will give him that. Yeah. Yeah, so Eternals, I think, uh, you know, it, it may be a sign of this, you know, you and I and, and some of our other friends, we all talk about this impending culture crash. I do think Eternals might be an accelerant because it looks like a legitimately bad movie that is hated by critics, And audiences alike. And if both of them get keep getting told by these really annoying people that you're you're all bigots for feeling that I I think this this whole structure where they try to uh strong arm you into you know thinking their way uh at the risk of being called one of these bad bad boy or bad girl names is is just people are just gonna call bullshit on it. So that's why this excites me. It's like I this could be an accelerant.
1: This could this is going to piss off Asian feminist Twitter for sure, though, because I think to an extent, um, Shang Chi was seen as the uh, sort of like Asian Asian male movie mm-hmm. for for obvious reasons, um, and this was sort of the Asian female movie because of the director and also I think Gemma, Gemma Chan is it Gemma or Gemma? I'm pretty sure it's Gemma. Gemma. Okay, so Gemma Chan is sort of the. She's a bit of the leading star here. Right? It, it almost she is. seems like she, no. Yeah, I, she,
0: I've,
1: I've seen multiple
0: negative reviews saying, um, unfortunately, why did this movie center on such a boring character? Right. And they're talking about Cersei, played by Gemma Chan.
1: Yeah, which is a pretty big deal because uh, Angelina Jolie and Selma Hayek are both in it. And mm-hmm, so, yeah. unlike, um, was it called Hustlers? Where,
0: yeah, the Constance Wu movie,
1: yeah, where Constance Wu was part of it which was also part of a trio of women, but she took like definitely third billing, like here Gemma Chan's taking top billing over two major stars right um who are significantly bigger names than she is at the moment um and so it seemed like a gemma Chan vehicle to an extent with a, with a Chinese uh woman at the helm, and so I don't think this is gonna do any good for that for that. D- that discourse, let's say. Right, I mean, this, but the yeah. problem
0: is that the movie is so seems to be so universally disliked that um, us evil Asian men, we've got some cover uh, with other people, pretty much every other demographic because, I mean, the critics don't like it. Um, casual movie fans don't seem to like it. Uh, and, and you know, pretty much every, every demographic under the sun. So if the movie were acclaimed,
1: I think that would have been a lot dicier. They may push the thing where it's like, if you don't like the, the... There's a significant number of people who don't like the movie because they're closed-minded and they don't like gay characters in Marvel. And, you know, it's just like how hard it was for everyone to just finally accept like that the Star Wars um, sequels were just not very good. Yeah. Like, it, like it was so patently obvious. Like, just watch the movie. They're not very good. But there was this huge fight as to whether your opinion was shaped by something more sinister than just whether you, you know, the simple fact of whether you enjoyed the movie or like whether the movie is enjoyable. Right. Right. You know, so, you know,
0: you know, something I, I just, I, I realized is this time period, which is like late 2021 is this very weird, bizarre version of the same time period in 2018. Okay. So first, look, okay, let's look at 2018. What What happens? You have this, like all Asian American, well, technically not Asian American, uh, but all Asian Hollywood blockbuster that was Crazy Rich Asians. It's equivalent at this time period is Shang Chi. Uh, but you know, one of the controversies uh, about Crazy Rich Asians was that the uh, the male lead wasn't fully Asian. He didn't. He may not not have looked like a typical like like Chinese person. You know, which his character was supposed to be. Uh, come twenty twenty one, you got Simu Liu, who is like one of the most Chinese looking people you could imagine. And he's there. And then in 2018, you got Celeste Ding with her cut article. She, you know, portrays herself uh, as as this uh, victim and everyone's like, you know, fa- you know, coddling her and everything. Come 2021, she has been exposed as a snake. And then uh, in 2018, we had this movie where an Asian woman uh, finds herself in a love triangle with two white men. And there's a gay black male character uh, and it was critically and commercially, uh, successful come 2021, same movie, uh, panned by the critics and the audience alike. I'm talking of course, about To All The Boys I Loved Before in 2018 and Eternals in 2021, which, you know, you could be called, uh, To All The Superheroes
1: I've Loved Before, uh, based on those elements, but I don't know if yeah. you noticed it, but it just no. seems bizarre. No, it makes sense, though. <laughs> I mean, it's like, um, things have changed a lot. Like, there's a, there's a turning of the tables, it seems.
0: Yeah. And, and you uh, said recently, like, why is everything going so right? Yeah. <laughs> to which I replied, I'm a little scared because, you <laughs> know, when, when you're like, luck is too good. Yeah. And you know the crash and the fall is right around <laughs> the corner. <laughs> <laughs> or, or there's some kind of a uh, curse like like a monkey's paw situation there's like a like an ironic twist that's uh, that's about to hit you i don't <laughs> yeah. know
1: it, it things have been like someone too has to die every time yeah. something good happens
0: <laughs> you yeah, know things have been too good uh, in in the last couple of months i yeah. don't know i'm a little even eileen um,
1: who seemed unassailable because she's you know this young college student and you know you know has has good intentions and um says all the right things and then you know the the, the sort of like Student activist org that she's a part of just rips her apart online, going like, you know, like,
0: yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I I don't think we should talk too much about her. But again,
1: yeah, that is well, no, another- no, no, no. I think we should not her, but I think like here's the here's the here's my point is I I just don't and with Celestine too. Here's the thing is, and I'll, I I, I want to bring this up just because. I want to. I want to just note how dishonest a lot of this shit is.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: When I first came to Twitter, it was in part. It was because I saw that tweet by Celeste Ng about how she didn't find Asian men attractive, and so I tweeted just like saying, cousins. Yeah, and I just I just tweeted. All I tweeted was, why is it that people who make being Asian their profession always end up saying stuff like this? <laughs> right. That's all I said. You know. I was like, why do they always end up saying stuff like this? And then it immediately became this thing about, like, oh, why are you policing who Asian women date? Like, is it because she has a white part? Like, why does it matter that she has a white partner? And I was like, I didn't I didn't say anything about white partner. (laughs)
0: Like, I didn't
1: I didn't even know she had a partner. (laughs) I was like, I'm just talking about the tweet. And I think it's this thing where it just to certain people, certain Asian people, in particular Asian guys. There were red flags about these people, Eileen as well. That it's like even if, if we see it, and you said this about the cover in terms of like Eternals being not a very good movie. That if it's not just the Asian guys who don't like it, I don't know why Asian guys would have any particular motivation not to like this movie. But well, because uh, there's like a,
0: a love triangle between the Gemma Chan character and the the, oh, Rob the white star guy. character and the Jon okay. Snow character. Yeah,
1: fair. Okay, so. What I'm saying is, if Asian, if it's only Asian guys who see the red flag, it's everyone's like, oh, that's because they're fucked up. But if white people see it, and that's the key, I think, is if white people see it. If white people look well, at other
0: minorities, I think that probably gives even more credibility, right?
1: See, I still think it's white people, right? I still think that white white opinion matters the most. And to see like Celeste Eng when white people saw Celeste Eng's tweets and Started uh, make you know started blasting her, the same way that Asian Twitter had been blasting her for what she said about Asian people. Then it kind of was like undeniable.
0: Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah.
1: So I guess what I'm just trying to say is like there really is a credibility problem when it comes to minorities. You know, if Mm -hmm. if it's just Asian guy saying shit, like you got a credibility problem. You need to have someone else in your corner. Now, if there's Asian women in your corner, it slightly makes it more credible, but then they just attack the women as pygmies or whatever. Right. You need to get other people of other races to corroborate your story. And so when Aaron Mack wrote that article in Slate about, you know, with Eileen Kwong and all that stuff, it was like unassailable. You can't, you know, this young girl's getting attacked on the Internet or whatever. But it's not until later where people that she's actually working with came out and said, no, actually, she's the one that uh, has been attacking us. She's the one who has very, very toxic traits. And we can't, we've got to publicly air this out because we don't have anything to do with her. Only after that point where other people, and I think presumably those people are Asian, but I think it's a mix of uh, men and women, young men and women, that, you know, there's even enough credibility, like, I mean, what I'm saying to you is obvious, but I'm just saying that that's just like a reality of how things go. Is if it's only like Asian guys that see something, it doesn't mean shit. You've got to, you've got to get other people to see it. Yeah, you know. So
0: I will say, everyone I've told uh, about what like Celestine tweeted, you know, about the Asian man cousins thing, whether they're uh, Asian women. Uh, black women, Latin American women, white women, um, and obviously Asian guys—they've uh, all been like, "What the fuck? That's so such a fucked up thing to say." So I, I think just you know, just have faith in your own instincts. That you know, no matter what you see online, especially on Twitter, which uh, you know, obviously there's a lot of just like us versus them mentality there. But it's like, yeah, it, it was really messed a messed up thing to say, and you know, most people will agree with you. So uh, there's there's that
1: little anecdote. Yeah, and also, what's interesting is I, I don't think she has a particular a pr- problem with Asian guys, and everyone else is cool. I mean, clearly, you know, she loved tormenting this white woman, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And when that white woman fought back, what was her response? Her response was the same thing: "Oh, I'm being harassed as a woman of color." Yeah. Oh, well, we're talking about the bad art, friend. In case people uh, don't don't understand that what we're referencing yeah. the kidney story, but her response to to um. Dawn Dorland, Don Dorland's, uh, you know, stepping up to her was pretty much the same as, you know, Asian, as how she responds to Asian guys. You know, I mean, I'm a woman of color. And if you attack me or you question me or you, you know, whatever, that's harassment of a woman of color. And, you know, I don't know. It just, the whole thing is just putrid. <laughs> like I'm, I'm so glad she got dragged. Seeing her texts made me
0: very curious to see, uh, want to see what she must have said about us, especially in like 2018. <laughs> yeah, it must it must be quite enthusiastic. I'm I'm kind of hoping that as like may you know, unless this case gets uh, settled in mediation or whatever, if there's like another round of discovery, maybe somehow those texts get dragged out, and in 2018, what she said about. Uh, Mont Jiang, who's this guy? Uh, oh, Mont Jiang on, on Twitter. Uh, she really hates this guy, and she really hates, um, I forgot what I, I think I was still Oxford Condo back then. She really hates Oxford Condo. <laughs>
1: <laughs> See, but that's the thing. I don't think she, I don't think we're matter enough to her for her to really bring out the big guns. I mean, it wasn't until this white woman came oh. around that she, well, that's her,
0: a, what an insult. I'm, I'm very, yeah, insulted exactly. By
1: that. She doesn't care about us, she, you know, <laughs> it's this white bitch that she's like, oh, you know. Mm-hmm. so i don't know the whole thing it's just so funny they just all deserve each other and right i i'm i'm just so i'm so happy to see asian blue czechistan just sort of like turn on each other mm-hmm. and you know as much as i respect jck's writing on stuff like i i'm also glad that they just they, that book was just getting you know causing all sorts of rifts and like even his po- podcast co-host could barely like lift a finger to defend him for fear of being um you know on the side of the MR Asians and stuff. And I'm like, Ugh. you guys can't just you can't handle any of this shit. You know what I mean? Like yeah, it's just fu- it's just so funny. Like uh, just to watch him squirm and realize that they have nothing to offer and yeah. could barely get anything sorted among themselves. Fuck them all.
0: I still have to start his book. I mean, to our listeners, we will probably do an episode real soon uh, discussing his book, but uh, a bunch of us have to read it first. So, yeah, keep it's so hard to get it that.
1: started, man. It's so fucking boring. <laughs> but <all right.
0: laughs> I'm looking forward to the chapter where we get mentioned. That is probably yeah. the one thing I'm looking forward to. All right. <laughs> all right. Okay. So, let's move on to this uh, New York Times article titled The 37 year olds are afraid of the 23 year olds who work for them. It's written by a reporter named Emma Goldberg, and I this came to my attention because I was on Twitter a few days ago and I saw it. Um, I don't know if it's trending or one of those you know things they they like the publications pay Twitter to have it show up on the sidebar. I don't know how big this thing actually got, but I think it does hit at uh, a, a key insecurity among like blue check millennials, which is that uh, they're getting old and irrelevant. And every like few months, I see this. Kind of mentality, which I I just find very annoying because all the things they accuse Gen Z of was stuff they were accusing Millennials of just not even five years ago, and now they're acting. I don't know, Like well, Team. What were your thoughts? I mean, before I want to delve deeper, like paragraph by paragraph, into this article, but what were your overall thoughts on this?
1: I thought it felt pandering. Um, maybe Wait, just because though? to to Gen Z, it it just felt like sort of like, um. You know, the new kids are in town. They don't, you know, out with the old, with the new, and they don't they don't fuck with the old ways anymore. And, you know, mm. world's it, and we got to make way for the, you know, it just, it had that sort of like Pepsi generation feel to it <laughs> that they always do. It's it's just part of that. It's just pandering and I don't know. It just, the whole yeah. thing felt like bullshit.
0: <laughs> I, I read a very interesting tweet that this is all part of uh, some kind of scheme to pit uh, millennials and Gen Z against each other when we should really be allies and trying to uh, rope in the Millennials with, I don't know, the boomer crowd or something, which I could see. That makes a lot of sense uh, why they're trying to play up this narcissism of small differences between two generations, which thanks to a lot of things like online culture, the, the, the diff- like all the tropes they, they say about Gen Z, as I said, were things they said about uh, our generation uh, a little while ago, um, I mean, Tina. Um, I think you just missed out on technically being a millennial, but w- whatever. You're, you're like on this this like gray zone uh, between like the youngest uh, of the Gen Xers or the oldest of the millennials, so you can kind of I think straddle both both sides. But anyway, anyway, so yeah, I'm um, an eternal. <laughs> so all right, so going on. Um, I just want to go. Let, let's delve deeper into this article. It starts off by saying, uh, it, it starts off with this like 34 year old. Millennial named Jessica Fain says, as a millennial with a habit of lurking on TikTok, Jessica Fain understood that skinny jeans and side parts were on the steady march toward extinction. Yeah. Uh, she apparently works as a product manager at a large tech company. And the first few paragraphs are about her uh asking her younger co-workers in some kind of like employee chat whether the what a certain emoji, whether it's cool or not anymore. And this is clearly setting up millennials to look absolutely pathetic because it's like, you're fucking 34 years old. Why do you care what a 24 year old thinks of the emojis you use? You use them because it conveys whatever image you're, or like message you're trying to convey. It doesn't matter what people think, whether it's cool or not. And yeah, so you read this and, and you're like predisposed to, I think like hate millennials, which I can kind of sympathize with because, Hey, you know, this whole like millennial image of, uh, you know, Harry Potter fanaticism, uh, BuzzFeed quizzes, avocado toast. That was all made by the the whole like BuzzFeed blue check class, which we were not a part of happily enough. So that image of people trash it, go ahead. That's not me. I hate them too. So have at it. But I mean, they're trying to make it seem as if this, this I don't know, is, is representative of a whole
1: generation, which is bullshit. I think it's, all, yeah, I think there is that element of trying to pit people against each other and and um you know a lot of it has to do with like trying to prey on the the discomfort that americans have with getting older you Mm -hmm. know and a lot of this has to do with like am i too old to be cool and then it's like the whole article and i think emma goldberg's probably a millennial herself and so it's written i'll look her up right now just to see what her age is because it's an incredibly uncool article because Miss <laughs> Fane, you know, Jessica Fane is like, hey, can I not use this emoji? And then the younger Gen Z, the cool, cool by, like, just the only reason this younger employee is cool is because they're younger. That's it, right? Responds with hate to break it to you, Jess, but it's spelled H8. Like the number two, right. break it, break it, number two, letter U, Jess. Like, what the f- is that oh yeah. that's how the cool kids spell these days you know
0: like so i'm on her linkedin i'm a Goldberg graduate from yale like, why do all these people come from fucking yale somebody needs to firebomb that place yeah. but yeah 2016 so she's actually like a, a tweener then because that would make her mm. about 27 ish okay in which case she she has legit now i think she that makes
1: her i think the youngest of the millennials i think she's a little too old to be gen z From my perspective, you know, and I know that for, you know, there's people, you know, they're talking about Andy Dunn, who's 42, like pretty much my age. And he's, you know, he's just, he's at that, he's the CEO, right? He's like, I feel very sure that I'm uncool. I've come to accept that, right? Like, he didn't give a fuck. You're
0: 42. It took you that long to come to terms with that. You should have learned (laughs) that when you were 22.
1: Yeah. But it's it's this thing where I just think that, this is part of and it's always doing this. like like you said, this is, article has been written about every generation. And it's always trying to prey upon the anxiety that people in their 30s or whatever start feeling to be like, am I actually cool anymore or you know am I just like getting to be this old lame person? And that's it. Like that's that's it. That's the worldview. is like either you are young and hip and you know you you're you're, tu- you're tuned in, so to speak. Or you are aging and irrelevant or increasing obsolete as if you are a pair of jeans, you know, or you are um, an album or you are a commodity that comes into style at a certain point at a prior at at a prime age. And then after a certain point, you kind of fade away into oblivion and no one gives a fuck about you. That's the sort of like overall culture that this is pushing on people. And I just find it's really lame. Like, it's just yeah. a really stupid, anxious, nervous, like, very, very primitive and unsophisticated and, you know, young person, teenage mentality. And I hate it all. It sucks. It's right. so stupid.
0: Yeah. And I think um millennials are particularly susceptible to this, especially like, like the blue check or wanna check class of millennials, because the way you stop caring about this is you move on to the next stage of life. You have a family, like, why the fuck do I care if I'm cool? I have like two kids and I'm busy being a dad or a mom. It'd be really weird if I were still cool. But a lot of millennials, as I said, but especially the ones who are, you know, like writers or, you know, because I'm kind of involved in the culture industry where the pace sucks, you, you have no stability or whatever. You can't make that jump to the next stage. Therefore, what are you? You got nothing then. You can't cling on to the coolness of youth, yet you cannot also move on to whatever the the prestige of family life. So you're stuck in this no no man's or no woman's land. Mm, and I think that's yeah. this, this stuff is really because I, and wherever this comes up, I'm sure the vast majority of actual millennials don't give a damn about what Gen Z thinks. They don't care who thinks their emoji is cool or not. But the people who really do care are people who write for the New York Times or want to work for the New York Times, write for various online publications, who are you know still kind of going through their 30s as if there's no real, there has been no big change since their 20s and not because they want it to be, although they might tell themselves that, they but a lot of them probably do want to move on to some other state, next stage of their life, but they can't because just like economically, it's not happening. So they're very, very just, uh, they get very touchy when you say, "Okay, you're you're like too old for the young people, but you're also kind of like too young for the old people. You fit in nowhere. You're you're just in some limbo." And I think that's what these pieces are, because that's how they generate clicks, probably by um, just you know just triggering these people time and time I think again. It's,
1: I think you're right that it's extreme within the uh, blue check writer class, but I think it's also pretty representative of America of American culture. At large, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, I think advertising pushes this idea onto us um, of the value of youth and this sort of like ephemeral hipness of youth. And I think it helps sell things because things are constantly going out of fashion, you know, and you've got to update and stay on top of things. And people have to work very hard to not look out of date and out of touch. Um, because that's the risk that everyone had, you know, that's the risk that everyone's taking as they get older. Is you become out of touch and irrelevant. And I don't think it's just. I think it's probably extreme with this class, yes, but I, I do think it affects people broadly um, in, in in American culture, especially through advertising. I think is how it's mostly um, transmitted.
0: Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. Well, my point was that. To- you know usually you would stop caring because you just have other better things to do but we don't have those better things anymore so yeah. we're stuck though have you seen parents these days
1: months. i mean it gets almost worse for them sometimes yeah you know? that that
0: is true as well you know so yeah, some, some it's a whole new
1: it's a new um it's a different league you know like in terms of worrying about i mean when you're when you're when your kids are infants you know what strollers you get and what daycares, you know, yo2 or whatever and then as they get older the the competition for relevance in terms of like what activities your kids does and what school they go to and all this stuff it's all encompassing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a, it's a little bit different I guess, but it the 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 race for cultural relevant or the the competition to be culturally relevant I think continues even after you've quote transcended the single millennial life um, and, you know, shack up with someone and have some kids. I think it still continues.
0: Yeah. All right. So, so. I, I want to go into this article because then there's this paragraph where they talk, uh, they're trying to portray Gen Z as unreasonable in their demands. But okay, I mean, uh, I want to get your opinions on this. Okay, so it's a fault line that crisscrosses industries and issues. At a retail business based in New York, managers were distressed to encounter young employees who wanted paid time off when coping with anxiety or period cramps. So... I'm thinking pay time off means essentially a sick day right so what what they're what these like gen, these crazy gen Zers are asking for is a sick day based on um they're just like not feeling well, but isn't that it, it, that's your right to take it as whatever you want It's not like you gotta be diagnosed with cancer to take that sick day off like if you oh you know if you happen to have a headache you can you can take that day off maybe I mean they say this later in the article where they're saying like Gen Z, what they're what's really different is how frank they are about this. Like in times past, you might say, I have the flu when really you just slept in or you had a hangover. You wouldn't actually just say, I have a hangover. The difference is the Gen Zers are actually saying they have a hangover, but what, what are your thoughts? Like if you have paid time, if you have like two weeks of vacation off and you happen to spend one of them because you happen to have period cramps or anxiety, Who's to say you can't do that? It's like that's you're you're given that, right? Plus, right?
1: plus yeah, but plus also it it I when I read that and other parts, it, it there's this thing that made it seem like there was some hard break between millennials and Gen Z where like millennials just got in line and didn't like, you know, didn't push for anything and were just like cheap. And mm-hmm. then the Gen Z come along and they're like, you know, fuck this old shit, man. We're making demands, like, you know. Uh, yeah. we're taking life by the horns, bitch. I'm like, there is no there is no way there's a hard break like that between millennials and Gen Z. And- yeah,
0: and, and repeatedly throughout this uh, uh, piece, there's something about how Gen Z want their company to reflect their values. That was one of the core, and I would say one of the more kind of naively irritating things about millennials was that we wanted our professional lives to embody our like innermost character in terms right. of our political values, our yeah. cultural values. Like, no, in the end, it's a job. You, that was you, Silicon you, you, Valley. That's what everyone
1: said about Silicon Valley. Yeah, exactly.
0: Valley. And and they're acting like it's some weird, weird thing that this new generation is coming. Oh, no, this is the same thing you were saying about us, yeah. just like it's a few years ago.
1: Plus, for the record, I think women should have extra PTO for for period cramps. Yeah, I, mean, it's, I it's, don't know why it's, it, it sounds, sounds horrible. Not a thing. Like, I, like I, I don't know I, how that's not a thing right now. Like that should t- very much be a thing. If you right? Ask me. But, yeah. yeah, that's that's the plan. A platform.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, uh, another thing. Hmm. They right after that sentence. Um, at a supplemental at a supplement company, a Gen Z worker questioned why she should be expected to clock in for a standard eight hour day when she might get through her to do list by the afternoon. And this reminds me of a story. I, I I forgot where I read it. I think it was on Reddit or maybe somewhere. But it was about a guy who had I'm sure there are multiple examples of this. He was like a very talented programmer. Essentially he was able to automate his job, daily duties, uh, to be able to do it within like two hours. So you know he his work day was technically from nine to five, but whatever he was assigned, he could finish, but before noon, he would essentially take the rest of the day off because (laughs) he would still get his work done. Right. And then he did this for a number of years and then for whatever reason someone found out and he got fired for it. Even though he was like by far the most efficient worker there, Mm -hmm. you would think that they would be happy or maybe give him more work to do. But it's like, I think it betrays the fact that they're not really only paying you for your work product. They're also paying you to be, for your time and to be Mm -hmm. miserable. It's like you, Mm -hmm. we're miserable as managers or bosses or whatever, as CEOs in being like servants to this corporate machine, you better pitch in, pitch in being used very generously because they're not actually contributing. And you sitting at your desk, uh, you know, pretending to work while being on Facebook is not contributing anything, but at least I guess it makes everyone else feel like they're not unnecessary necessarily suffering mm-hmm. so i think it betrays that fact but it's been a long complaint um you know why do we have to be at the office when we can finish our work sooner again they're acting like this is some weird novel idea that gen z is having oh this is like been around for a long time
1: yeah i don't know what it is with this kind of writing um i feel like it's almost like they're writing it to say that gen z is actually fulfilling the promise that millennials had sort of abandoned a while ago and Millennials are these sort of like broken, defeated, (laughs) cynical people. But Gen Z is like this, you know, they're the future. They're like bright eyed and idealistic and they're not going to, you know. And I guess the part of this that annoys me uh, or doesn't annoy me, but rubs me as foolish is like it just totally discounts the idea that you actually build up. Like a more, you don't you don't get out of touch when you as you get older. It's not like you just you're like I don't know what's going on anymore. <laughs> uh, you know, worlds pass me by, and I'm just sitting here. You know, uh, like Milton, you know, whatever. No, like you know, over time, like um, if you want to know, like who are the most, like uh, in my workplace anyway, who are the people that are most aggressive and most protective of their time is older people, especially older people with kids. They're like, look, fuck you. I've got, you know, I've got to get out of here by this time. I'm going to go pick up my kids. And, you know, I came in earlier than everyone else. I'm going to leave earlier than everyone else. So fuck off. I mean, the people who are truly empowered at work are the ones who have been there for a while and have established, you know, themselves, their, their sort of like position and value or whatever. And uh, know their value over time. And they're kind of like, yeah, fuck you. This is this is the set- setup that, that I'm going to have. And they're also the most realistic about what's actually going to fly and what's not. Because mm-hmm. if you think right now that companies are going to accept these Gen Z mouthing off and like telling, like sell, giving assignments to their boss or whatever. <laughs> like, yeah, okay. That's not the future. That's just someone like going, wow, this guy's weird. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um. So I think this, uh, yeah, this, this approach to, you know, in with the new out with the old and uh, whatever, I'm probably sounding very defensive because I'm an older guy, but it is just like constantly annoying me that this culture is one that is always preying upon people's anxiety about getting older. I'm like, what, what is wrong about with getting older? It's good. It is good. Embrace it. You know, there's a lot, a lot of good stuff comes with getting older, you know? You get a lot more. There is old old people privilege that that <laughs> um, that we don't talk about. So um, yeah, I don't know. I think this is just this kind of article preys on anxiety. Okay, yeah, I totally agree with that.
0: And okay, just moving on with this article. There's a mention of Ziad Akman, whose name sounded all too familiar. I was like, please don't let this be Ziad, the activist, the the guy ah, who, yeah. <laughs> the guy who not only. Wrote a Black Lives Matter, I think like a hundred times in his uh, college admissions essay, uh, and he got into a whole bunch of places. I think he ended up going to Yale again. This fucking Yale place, firebomb, yeah. firebomb. Uh-huh. But he also had this viral uh, TikTok where he scolded anybody who would not vote for Joe Biden, <laughs> and he had this like you know horrible, not even good bad slam poetry. You know that that slam poetry style, but you can at least be proficient at it. He was just like amateur, bad uh, slam poetry, doing it in that style. Uh, would you believe it? He is now <laughs> chief executive of a marketing company called <laughs> JUV Consulting, <laughs> which uh, lends his expertise to brands like Gen Sport on how to appeal to Gen Z. And it's just, okay. So he tells this uh, Gen Z uh, intern where who says that her company is not reflecting her progressive values enough and then he tells her, when she, if she asks him, what is your advice for our company? He says, make you a vice president rather than an intern, which I find funny on two levels. One is anybody in the business world kind of knows vice president is the biggest BS position. Like you, especially at like, um, investment banks, you got like a hundred vice presidents for every floor. So that doesn't even mean much. It's like one step above entry level position. Secondly, He's just totally pandering to her, like you know, like a like a tarot card reader who just wants a lot of customers. So here yeah. she just tells them yeah. everything. You're gonna be. Oh, this gonna... <laughs> line means very strong. Very strong. He's he's that. He's just telling her what she wants to hear so that the more people come. Whatever. So it's just like, oh my god, this is really not looking good for Gen Z. I would be very pissed off if I were Gen Z, and and this guy is being held up as my uh some kind of my avatar in this article. And then, yeah, and then going down, more bullshit. But then I think it does get to the part where I think there are some legit concerns, I will say, about... So I think what characterized millennials as stupid and naive, Gen Z have turned it into something more vicious and self-interested. And I'm talking more about... uh, They say something about um, how... when when Gen Z employees don't like something a company does, they they go out and call them out on Twitter. And it says here, um, is it worth the social clout of getting gratification on social media, but then trashing someone who could continue to help you professionally? There's another line that says, uh, so this is uh, the Bonobos guy. He apparently wants to write a book. So he got like a Gen Z sensitivity reader for notes. Within a day, she had left 1100 comments in the document. Mr. Dunn, has also begun trying to monitor his gendered language in the office saying, instead of guys, saying people or better yet, y'all. And you know that he's gonna cancel for Southern uh, cultural appropriation. If he's not from the South, you can't use y'all. So I think that is a legit criticism of Gen Z that I don't think we millennials went with. Like we were very insufferably idealistic, but we didn't quite go to the extent of we're gonna ruin your reputation online maybe just because we just didn't have the means at the time, like social media wasn't as big as it is now, but nevertheless um, I think it is a distinction. And I think it is something worth critiquing about uh, Gen Z that, you know, even at high school, if, if there's someone you don't like in class, you put them on blast on like social media so that people from another country can hate on them. Like that is way across the line and just, you know, just passive aggressive. Uh, it's just not good, good, Behavior makes you a piece of shit to do that. I blame the parents.
1: I mean, <laughs> I, honestly, like there was this, uh, there was this. You know, there's a German uh, television. It's like the German BBC. It's called um, D- DW Deutsche Welle, something like that. Okay, I didn't know that. Um, so they do. They have like um, you know, pretty interesting uh, 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 documentaries about like wealth and privilege. Uh, one of their, one of their sort of like specialty topics is wealth and privilege. And they did one where they interviewed or they sort of like did an extended, like stay with this very wealthy family in the Hamptons during COVID. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. And the guy, the dad was, uh, you know, like a an executive at like Tommy Hilfiger or something like that. Um, one of the, you know, some, some big brand and he had two daughters, I think were younger millennial daughters, or maybe Gen Z. Maybe Gen Z. And they um were influencers, like they were paid social influencers on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And uh the father was more of an old fashioned kind of guy in terms of his values and stuff. And he had sort of said like some light criticism about their willingness and, and eagerness to sort of air out their entire personal lives online. Um, you know, for the gram, right, for the for the clout. And the two daughters, like, just jumped down his throat and were like, Dad, you're so fucking lame. And they just started screaming at him. And then, you know, the mother didn't take a side. And then he just sort of backed off. Like, look, I don't know. I mean, look, I, I'm me. I don't know what's going on with these girls. Like, meaning he wasn't willing to fight them on this at all. He just sort of, like, he just sort of, like, just sort of surrendered and was just like, I don't know, like young people are going to young, young people are going to do young people shit, you know? And, and he, he was like not happy with the way um, social media and the influencer lifestyle had overtaken them. But on the other hand, he felt like completely powerless. And also to be honest, he seemed disinterested. He didn't really give a shit. He was like, I don't know. I'm I'm living my life. Y'all can, I don't know what's going to happen to y'all, but I mean, good luck, you know? And so I think, Part of it is that old people are not teaching young people. They're just surrendering, you know, their young people, their their children uh, over to this bullshit social media driven culture that um, defines their social lives. And I don't know what it is, but old people just don't seem interested in this about their own children, you know?
0: I, I think a part Sorry. of it is actually ties back to this article. I think a lot of parents are afraid of seeming uncool and too old, and they—that's yeah. that's why I am very much against the idea of parents being friends with their kids. Like yeah. you should not be a hard ass, uh, whom your your child will hate for the rest of their lives. But you have no business being their friends. Like they'll have plenty of friends. They don't need you as a friend. They should not. I don't know the idea of like kids calling their parents every day and mm-hmm. chit chatting about their dating lives. Sounds very perverse to me. Like that, just seems like yeah, too many boundaries being crossed. Weird. And I, I think, uh, yeah, I, I blame that uh, on the parents' unwillingness to fully move on to the next phase of their lives, which is being right. the uncool parent. Embrace that role. That is what you're meant to do now.
1: Yeah, or even, or even to um, uh, to get over the idea of being uncool. Like, just sort of like realize that. Totally, there, there are there are sort of like eternal things, right? There are like universal things that people have to learn, and surrendering ground to be like, I don't know, me and my ch- my children just live in a different world, is very fucked up because they don't. They you all live in the same world, you know. Like they're just leaving a lot of lessons untaught, and the kids seem to be lost in a way, you know. Like they don't really seem to have like. Any real like anchor points as human beings, they're just like flying. They're just like they just seem like they're floating around like little dust motes in the wind. Like anything <laughs> can just they just chase every fad, <laughs> you know. They're they're everything sets them you know a fire. Like they're just so sensitive and they don't seem to be really n- nailed down. At least the culture at large. I'm not saying every young child is like this. There definitely are parents that that set that do that for their children. But by and large, I feel like the culture is sort of successfully preying upon young people uh, and indoctrinating them to be hyper anxious about being relevant, being seen, being special, having clout and being cool. And I'm like, this is so much worse than when I was young. Like, they were already trying to do this clearly. Like, the marketers were already trying to do this when I was young, but they could only do it through toys and movies and, you know, like shit like that. But now it's this sort of 24 seven social media sphere that they've got these kids entrapped in. And it is, uh, uh, I, th- I think yeah. it's time for parents to st- reassert themselves.
0: Yeah, uh, not only 24 7 but also basically your competition pool has become worldwide because yeah. when yeah. we were younger uh all you had to really be was the coolest kid in your school and, and you <laughs> had it made you're king yeah. or queen if you were that right. now you're competing with maybe the whole world right like who cares like about your your school or your neighborhood or, or even your city mm-hmm. uh you that, that's nothing yeah like everything has just become globalized in that sense so I, I i think i mean in this article they talk about how all these they talk about something called the suffies the which is apparent the suffies which oh, at some yeah. like corporate retreat these uh, gen z uh people had come up with these awards i guess it was kind of like a i think it was kind of a joke but probably not where they would try to tell the biggest sob stories and everything and i think uh, a big motivating part of that is to try to distinguish themselves from this mass of people their peers whether it's in their own country or even around the world were like hey look at me i matter i have this thing that makes me special which is why uh you know citing your mental illness on your twitter bio is a thing now uh yeah. because <laughs> you're trying to you're trying to not get lost in the shuffle and i i sympathize with that that's gotta feel really bad because you know when i was younger and even if you go to like an environment where uh, you're at a high school of maybe a few hundred to a college of several thousand, you you feel totally lost and invisible. Well, multiply that by a factor of like a hundred. Yeah, it's got to be, it's got to be pretty bad. Um, but I think that is you're right in that. That's where the parents should step in and be like, hey, you know, we're here for you. This is your community, and you don't have to do this all foolishness to matter because you'll matter to us and all that. And then you know, hopefully they'll get their heads on straight. But yeah, there's the a problem lot. Problem is the of parents themselves.
1: The, the parents themselves have been susceptible to a lot of this um, to a lot of this uh, cultural programming
0: yeah they got their own version going on with their, their you know with the people they're competing with in their yeah. workplace or whatever so golf yeah. clubs or country clubs
1: yeah. so you know who was it um, I think Andre Domi said this on Twitter which I thought was a really good tweet and he, he quote tweeted a some a tweet asking like what is it about getting older like what have you noticed about the world as you get older that surprises you or dismays you or something like that he qt'd it with how i forgot the way he worded it was really clever but he said something about how like how he was surprised by how many adults uh are still sort of entrapped in the psychology of like high school
0: well we see it on twitter i mean like uh, all the time yeah
1: yeah but he's like truly grown adults in, you know, with children and families and careers. and I see. Okay. You know, like that, that in all respects, like if you look at them materially speaking, these people have definitely moved on. I mean, they have, you know, uh, good careers, good families and all that stuff. But he said, you know, he, he found it surprising that a lot of them are still entrapped in, in, in the psychological um, game of their youth. They're still the children inside of them, you know, and and I just thought that was a very telling tweet because I I was not thinking about that tweet, but I was talking to my girlfriend about it the other day and and how I've noticed that a lot of adults my age and and, and older and stuff are, they're still often uh, tending to some wound from when they were a kid, you know, like, Sometimes a specific traumatic event, but oftentimes just a sort of, like, general sense of inadequacy or loneliness or something that had defined their childhood for the worse. And they they still were smarting around it, you know? Like, they were still um, hurt by that and motivated by that. And it just seemed to me, like, that's just a big burden. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it seemed like the right thing to do as you get older is to try and trim off some of that stuff. like you want to be rooted, but also not too rooted in you know, trying to solve all your like old problems and just sort of at some point, I guess like on what extreme it would be like every day, is my chance to redeem my childhood. You know, like what I didn't have as a job and the opposite extreme is like memento. Like I wake up and every day is brand new. I don't think <laughs> you know, like, you know, and I guess somewhere in between is the right thing where you, 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 you want to have some rooting in your past, but you don't want to like nail it down all the way to like, everything is about when I was like an unpopular kid in the sixth grade or whatever. Right. You know? So, yeah. Anyway, I, I feel like that there's a bit of that going on with parents Trying to live vicariously through their kids, and and I feel like a lot of it is to say that I want my kids to be have the childhood that is the corrective to the one I had, and and I just I'm like, why? What? Yeah. <laughs> that's just such a weird. That's what, living vicariously through your children, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah.
0: Uh, there's a couple of things I want I want to hit up in this article, but it's like a couple of funny weird things. Um. So here's a here's a sentence. Ms. Rodriguez's co founder of Unbound, which sells vibrators, called to say that their social media manager, a younger employee, wants to know what the company planned to do to support the protest. I found that really funny. So, you, you work for a sex toy company and you want to know hmm. what they're going to do to support the protest. And I, I was wondering Excuse me, it's a sexual wellness company. <laughs> like, what, what do you want? Like diverse dildos? Uh, you know, oh, damn, like all our, all our dildos look white or black or Asian. I don't know. Um, and and I'm just wondering if if there were, some people who were like, oh, you know what? Um, or maybe they could write a confessional essay for Salon. Like all the dildos I buy are of one race. Maybe I should <laughs> diversify my dildos. And then uh, later on, I mean, you tweeted about this, about the political tomatoes. I'll read oh, this paragraph. Yeah. Uh, so uh, you talk to pe- older people and they're like, dude, we sell tomato sauce. We don't sell politics at Mr. Kennedy, co-founder of Plant People, a certified B corporation. Then you have younger people being like, these are political tomatoes. This is political tomato sauce. (laughs) Which honestly, when I first saw that, I was thinking, is he referencing the fact that tomatoes uh, came from the new world and were they're like spreading around the world as a result of European colonization of the Americas? Is that what they were referring to? (laughs) I don't know, but (laughs) yeah, it is this wishful thinking that um, the tomato, I mean, this is not like Heinz ketchup, but you know, like you you saw ketchup, but, that the, you're a ketchup salesman and, and you remember earlier this year maybe it was this year you remember that suitcase company away yes they got into a lot yeah. of trouble because their female ceo turned out to be this monster even though yeah. she like one of the appealing things about the company was like oh he's got a girl boss ceo and then there were all these very disappointed i guess they, they must have been gen z because they were like fresh out of college and were like i really want to believe in this company it's like you sell suitcases like what what possible philosophy could you have as a, as a thing, but besides we uh, aspire for expert craftsmanship and we want to sell you a product that will last you a lifetime. But they were acting like
1: they were doctors without borders or something. (laughs) You're selling suitcases. This is clear. I mean, if this, this Gen Z like idealism is real, I don't know if it is or not, but it sounds like it is at least with a certain set of Gen Z. Like this is so clearly like their parents and professors uh, influence. You know, just be like, "Don't be like us. We we sold out for the money. You know, (laughs) oh, like the things we did just so we could have a little bit of privilege, a little taste of the good life. And now that you have it, you need to complete the the process and redeem. I mean, basically redeem their parents. You know, yeah. Um, This whole thing sucks. (laughs) (laughs) It's just." nobody's mature in this like either the people who raise these kids or these kids you know like right fucking sucks but Mm -hmm. anyway it's enough bitching (laughs) uh any last thoughts before we close out this episode no uh that's pretty much it i this whole this whole gens this whole like old people versus cool young people thing just it just it's a very snl sort of mentality you know, I don't yeah. know. I it's mean, just, the worst thing is
0: like the so-called cool peop- young people, aren't even cool at all. You, they no. just come off as a bunch of like. I mean, they have like the worst tendencies of millennial idealism, which is I, I want my the co- corporation I work for to be uh, the embodiment of my ideals, which is pretty much impossible. That's never going to happen. It's just a job. Get over it. And and add to that the kind of nasty tattletaleness, which uh, I think it is is a relatively new development um it's like are these supposed to be the the vanguard of of our country like oh that's not very that's not very
1: hopeful just just look at the last three paragraphs or last <laughs> three sentences as the Millennials have made clear through their own workplace ascent one generation's weird can quickly become the new normal I think it's already happening said Mr Ahmed this is the that guy oh God yeah that. the activist yeah. God, damn. the the Gen Z consultant do I think we already control the power no But we're pushing the envelope, and for his part, he confirms that the laughing sobbing emoji is in fact dead. It's an ironic thing. It's kitschy. I would usually just say "lol." Fuck this. (laughs) Just fuck all of this. First of all, what millennial
0: ascent? I mean, you're you're talking about probably the like top five percent of the worst millennials who have managed to ascend to like management and partner positions at whatever firms they work at. The the majority are are just kind of floating along uh, probably as uh, we were still living in our 20s. And to cap it all off, the, the spokesperson you chose
1: for Gen Z was fucking Zia yeah. the Activist. Yeah. God, fuck. This God. is the New York Times. This is the New York Times. It's focus on this bullshit, these coddled little fucks and this stupid little culture of theirs that to any normal person is so obviously on its face pathetic, but mm-hmm. yet it's in the New York times and this is going to be defining the quote cutting edge of culture for some time. And it just, this is why America can't have nice things. Right. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Although
0: uh, one nice thing, Mm -hmm. Uh, it's a 47 right now. Succession is coming on in 13 minutes. So that that'll brighten up the end of my week. So ending at the, this podcast ending at the perfect time. Nice. All right. And uh, listeners, a teen told me right before we started this episode that he's what started to watch you. So, Look for a possible episode uh, uh, exploring that Netflix series because I'm a big fan of that series. I have not started season three, but maybe we can do it once we
1: watch all three. Dude, seasons. dude, I had no idea that there were three seasons. I thought it was like a new show, but uh, no, it came out behind- a
0: few years ago, okay, and it's been it's been very popular, kind of in like a you know, like trashy way although i think i think it's a good show i don't I think, think it's, it's like, good i think yeah, it's no no it's good. very funny it's very dark uh-huh. i just recently read the actual novel that the uh, okay. uh, first season yeah. was based on yeah and you know i'm a fan I'm an, yeah. unashamed fan yeah i think it's good um yeah. anyway all right all right good chatting with you and please tune in next time for another episode of Scam camp for plan a we'll see you then bye everyone